Hello everyone, my name is Brenda Savala and I'm a survivor of narcissistic abuse and a trauma-informed coach and training specializing in narcissistic abuse and recovery. Welcome to our podcast, The Healing Power of Trauma, where I will be sharing my story and how the most traumatic and painful period of my life delivered me to the most empowered and self-aware version of myself. So just a little background on why I created this podcast. About four and a half years ago, I met and fell in love with a woman. Before meeting her, I had been single for a while and dedicated most of my time, if not all of my time, to working. I worked at two different ERs and had a third job as a coordinator for a company that did biometric screenings in the Bay Area. I was also very busy raising two boys on my own. So in 2018, I decided I was ready to welcome someone into my life. I was ready to come out and pursue a relationship with a woman, which is something that I had been dreaming about my whole life. I had known that I liked girls since I was four, and to finally have the opportunity to be openly out and in a relationship with a woman fulfilled me in ways I cannot even put into words. I remember not knowing how to meet other lesbians. I mean, where were they hiding? Please don't laugh at me when I say this, but I used to get dolled up and head over to the local mall and sit at a cafe with my computer wearing what I thought was the gayest outfit I owned. Skinny jeans with a white fitted shirt and a blazer, hoping that maybe other lesbians would see me, notice me, and approach me. (laughs) I don't know what I was thinking. At some point, I realized that I present as a very feminine lesbian and the only people talking to me were men mission aborted like everyone else these days i created an account on a dating site and within a few weeks this beautiful woman contacted me i had not paid for that subscription and she had messaged me a few times so by the third time i decided i don't want to miss out so i paid for it so i can reply to her i remember how nervous i was getting ready for our first date I think I must have changed my outfit a few dozen times and drank a glass of wine before hitting out the door because I was so nervous. Before our first date, we had talked on the phone and texted, and I must admit, she was perfect. I had all the good feelings, the butterflies, the sweaty palms, the naive excitement. I was so hopeful. I remember I was late to our first date. And I was so embarrassed I had to call her and she, so she could help me find the restaurant because I was so excited and nervous, I drove in the opposite direction. I remember walking into the restaurant feeling like my legs were about to give out because I was so nervous but happy and excited at the same time to meet her. I walked in and looked around nervously and there she was, right in front of me waving me down. And man, she was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. And her smile just warmed my heart. She got up to greet me with a hug and that first embrace. Girl, I can't tell you. The smell of her hair, her perfume, all of her. My senses were like fully awakened. I felt so alive in that moment. I remember we sat and talked until the restaurant closed down. And then we took the conversation to my car because lesbians driving home that day i remember thinking how lucky i was to have met such a sweet and beautiful woman and how i wanted to do everything in my power to make it work 
From that day on, we were inseparable. We were either on the phone for hours, texting, or we were trying to figure out ways to spend time with each other. I mean, two single mothers trying to carve some time in the day to spend time with each other. It was, it was special. This was already unlike any relationship I had ever been in. But I thought, I haven't been with a woman in my adult life, so what do I know? It felt like we had this connection, like we had known each other forever. She made me feel beautiful and special, and it felt like we had so much in common. The chemistry between us, she would say, was undeniable. The connection was so strong, I began to have very strong feelings, as I would call them for her. And at some point, I asked her to be my girlfriend. Everything was moving so fast, but it felt so right and so unreal at the same time. I was so happy my heart could burst. Six months after we met, she started having issues making her mortgage, so we decided it would be a good idea to move in together. I know, lesbian you, Holly, not as fine as right? The relationship between us was not perfect. We had already experienced a couple of disagreements, but knowing that relationships between women can be so passionate and intense, I thought these little hiccups were normal. I had lost a job around this time at a very reputable hospital, and she was there for me, being supportive as I struggled with the depression of losing that job and potentially my ability to provide for my children. I was so scared, honestly. I wanted to die. I was so scared. My whole identity was tied to being a provider, a mother, and a first responder in a ER tech. It was a very vulnerable time in my life. When the subject of moving in together, it just made sense. And I thought, I get to live with this amazing woman. It couldn't get better than that. I was so blindly in love, so in love, in fact, I missed all the red flags. There was this soulmate connection she claimed we had. She was very quick to point out little quirks we had in common, like mean streaking and doing this with our lips. English is my second language. I don't know what that's called. She was very complimentary, always telling me how beautiful she thought I was and how much she loved me. Um, probably as much as I was telling her, honestly. She wrote me a five-page poem, bought me flowers, dedicated songs. There was this uh, vision board, I remember, that she and her daughter had worked on. And I remember there was this picture of this woman with thick eyebrows and long, flowing, dark hair. And I remember her telling me that she had manifested me. I've never been with anyone so attentive. And even though at times a constant wave of compliments made me feel a little uncomfortable because it almost felt like she would compliment me expecting a compliment back. Like it wasn't sincere, if that makes any sense. I'm very sincere with my compliments. And so I felt very awkward having to say me too so many times during the day. I don't know, something about it felt forced. But at the same time, being showered with attention by such a beautiful woman that I was so attracted to would elevate me and make me feel so special and loved. There was this constant comparison between myself and her ex-girlfriend. I was so much better in so many ways. And that too made me feel good. Quite honestly, it fed my ego and it made me feel again special and valued. Looking back now and knowing what I know, I recognize the early stages of love bombing. 
I realized that the constant comparisons were not meant as compliments, but expectations being set for me. So anywho, we moved in together and my kids and I were elated. I always wanted a daughter and she had two. My kids had always wanted more siblings and now there would be a home full of them. I was naively hopeful that this would be my happily ever after. I had found this amazingly beautiful woman to share my life with. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Within six months of moving in with her, I was diagnosed with CPTSD and was disabled by the state. Fast forward two years and I had gone from a healthy, vibrant and thriving individual to a chronically ill shell of a person in and out of the ER, developed an autoimmune disorder, was admitted to a psych facility, developed memory loss, alopecia, went into long QT a few times, and lived in a perpetual state of fight and flight. What happened, right? To tell you the truth, it took me a while to figure that out myself. I didn't know how we got there. I remember the first argument we had it was the first time I ever experienced the silent treatment and the isolation and pain that it triggers. We went from spending every hour of the day together or connected in some way to not being able to contact her, being blocked out completely and feeling like I had done something wrong to deserve it. There was no warning or explanation, just a complete dismissal. I remember I drove her. I drove to her house um, on my way to drop off my kids at their dads for the weekend um, she opened the door and I looked and looked at me like I was a complete stranger she treated me with such cold disdain and basically like literally kicked me out of her house I kept telling her that all I wanted to do was talk about her fight and I couldn't understand her behavior towards me I walked to my car speechless legit speechless and in disbelief Looking back now, though, I know that the reason I stayed and the reason I accepted that treatment was because she reminded me of my mother. I was a 12-year-old again, standing in the kitchen, being yelled at by my narcissistic mother, and the people-pleaser in me wanted nothing more than for her to love me. That was the first red flag, and I completely missed it. I made every excuse for it, for all of it. I tried calling her multiple times and every time I would get sent to voicemail and the messages that I would leave that dysregulated, tormented part of myself. I do not miss it. I was losing my mind. How could she go from saying I'm the love of her life and spending every hour of the day connected to me in some way to not having any contact at all without any reason or explanation it triggered all my insecurities and that unhealed mother wound. Now, let me clarify that I'm not saying I didn't do something wrong. I obviously triggered her in some way. What I'm saying is that the reaction was abnormal and it made me feel completely disconnected from myself and from her. Taking space from someone to clear your mind is perfectly acceptable and it's actually healthy in a relationship. We all need time and space from our partners to clear our minds sometimes. But taking space involves open communication. It involves the person needing space, openly communicating that need, setting a boundary, followed by a time frame of when to expect to reconnect. It may sound a little something like, hey, I need some time to think about this issue. 
please give me a couple of days to cool off. I will call you on such and such date, blah, 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 blah. It also involves being able to communicate the reason you're upset to give your partner an opportunity to fix the problem. However, when you are left wondering what the issue is and what your partner's silence means, it is not healthy. It is not healthy for you or the relationship. When someone uses a silent treatment as opposed to communicating a need for space, it is meant to gain control over you the relationship, or the situation. It is not coming from a healthy place. If you were ignored as a child, which I was, this tactic will trigger your deepest wounds that you're not lovable, cared for, or valued. You will start to do anything to avoid being ignored and turn into someone you may not even like or recognize. Because let's be honest, being ignored by someone you love can be very painful. These periods of silence would go on for days and would only come to an end when I would apologize for my supposed bad behavior when such bad behavior was never expressed to begin with. This became a pattern that over time started to break me down emotionally and mentally. As I became more and more dysregulated in the relationship, my reactions to the silent treatment became more and more emotionally driven and chaotic. I didn't recognize myself anymore. I was ashamed of the way I was triggered and of my reactions. And my reactions were used against me to deflect from our one number one issue, our core issue. My partner would give me the silent treatment to avoid accountability. Let me explain. I began to notice that the silent treatments were used when I would question a behavior, a transgression, or when I would bring up a grievance. She would say it was her way to self-preserve. But again, the communication component of taking space was missing. If I reacted to the silent treatment poorly, which in most or all cases I did, then my reaction would take center stage. She would turn the tables and I would end up apologizing for all of it. Every single time. It became a vicious cycle that I didn't know how to escape from. I must admit... <laughs> I did not react very well to any of it. At this point, I was very severely trauma-bonded and her removal of affection and attention were so damaging to my mental health that I ended up breaking up and coming back with apologies constantly. I didn't know anything about gaslighting and the silent treatment, so I was trying to navigate the situation with whatever maladaptive coping skills I had learned as a child to survive. People please foreclose on my knees, and externalize my power. Since she never apologized for any of her transgressions, I gaslit myself as well into thinking that I was the issue because my reactions were so extreme. It was so sick. This pattern of abuse continued, and the silent treatments got longer, and of course my reactions became more and more desperate and chaotic. I was being told on a regular basis that I was crazy, pathological, psychotic, and abusive. I would break up with her constantly. There was this internal fight between knowing I needed to leave and being so severely trauma-bonded that I was incapable of doing so. I would always come back with an apology. At some point, she proposed to me, and I remember being so conflicted because it was right around the time that I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder triggered by stress. I felt trapped because I loved her so much, but I hated being in the relationship. Staying was killing me slowly and I didn't 
know how to leave. I didn't recognize myself anymore and I had become a monster. I also, in some ways, I know that my reactions, my shame for my reactions kept me in that relationship. I felt responsible for the decline in our relationship and she made me feel that the burden to fix it laid solely on my shoulders. After all, her covert abuse was invisible. Aside from one incident where she had to spend the night in jail for battery and assault, the only way I had to prove I was being abused was my decline in physical and mental health. The memory loss, the PTSD, the autoimmunity, the alopecia, the night terrors, the weight loss, etc. She was always very careful to never leave any voice messages or send text messages with any incriminating language. And of course, I was the one always apologizing for something. She would say my apologies were to manipulate, but failed to recognize that an apology and change behavior are absolutely, yes, my responsibility, but also involve the other party. Please let me explain. If your partner cheats on you and you react poorly, and rightfully so, but then you feel bad because maybe your reaction was completely out of character, so you apologize and you promise your partner never to react that way again. What happens if your partner cheats again? Are you expected to react calmly and forgiving and be held to a higher moral standard while your partner continues on with the same behaviors that trigger that reaction? This was the cycle I was stuck in, apologizing for my reaction to an action against me while my partner continued the same patterns of behavior that were causing my mental and physical decline i.e. gaslighting, giving me the silent treatment, smearing, etc. I was going crazy trying to navigate her expectations that I had to be the better person because she couldn't. To the outside world, however, she was a perfect friend, kind and soft-spoken, while I was dysregulated and emotionally charged. Who would believe me? It was frustrating. There's a lot more to my story that I will share within context and future podcasts. But for now, I will jump to April of 2022 when I finally decided to end the relationship and it wasn't easy. I had to stare the person that I have loved the most in her eyes and ask her to leave my home and my life. I remember being in the shower after spending 45 minutes on the floor in my room trying to regulate myself and my nervous system after an argument we had over our dogs. Yes, our dogs. She came into the shower and proceeded to argue as I was shaking, feeling like I was going to pass out, having a panic attack and asking her to please give me space and time to regulate myself. I remember standing in the shower shaking, looking at her through the glass doors and thinking, It's either me or her. And for the first time in four years, I chose me. I remember crying as I packed her belongings and trying to take every ounce of her when she came to pick them up. I wanted to remember her scent, her eyes, her hair, because I knew that that would be the last time that I would ever see her again. The five months after our breakup were the hardest months of my life. I lost a sister to cancer in the thick of healing from the trauma bond. And there were whole weeks where I would wake up at three or four in the morning with night terrors and my heart beating out of my chest, feeling like I was dying. I would spend hours pacing the hallway, not eating or sleeping with a constant ache in my heart, longing, fighting the urge to call her. 
it's hard to grieve someone who's still alive. I know that now. When you hear people say that breaking a trauma bond is like withdrawing from cocaine, believe them. I have a podcast in a few weeks where I'm addressing healing from a trauma bond, by the way. I realized at some point that I could either be a victim or I could take charge and hold myself accountable for my own healing. I had to take responsibility and accept that there were patterns of behavior, schemas, and maladaptive coping skills that made me very vulnerable to this type of abuse and personality disordered individual. Now, let me clarify that I never claimed to be a victim. I have always recognized that I carried my own share of toxicity into that relationship. There's a whole podcast I'm currently working on where I talk about healing from the shame I carried for the way I reacted to the abuse and the things I did and said when my nervous system was dysregulated. I realized at some point that instead of spending countless hours like many of you have, sometimes whole days and nights obsessing over her pathology, reading every article and book I could get my hands on and listening to every podcast on toxic and cluster B personality disorders, I could instead dive headfirst into becoming self-aware and healing my own childhood traumas, addressing my own shame and making a conscious and delivered effort every day to recognize and change the patterns of behavior that no longer serve me. I became obsessed. And when I say obsessed, girl, from the morning till the time I go to sleep, I am obsessed with learning about my triggers, my attachment style and where those came from. I began to understand that this did not start with me. It started before I was even born, while I was in my grandmother's womb, as an egg inside of my mother in utero. And for the first time, maybe in my whole life, I developed a sense of love and compassion for myself. I became empowered. I realized that in order to heal from this experience and to avoid being a magnet to those type of individuals, I needed to heal generational trauma point the finger back at myself and hold myself accountable for my own toxicity. And that's when really the healing began, when I was able to recognize that this person <clears throat> had come into my life to highlight the parts of me that needed healing, protection, and compassion, but also the parts of me that were toxic and needed to change. Since breaking up with her, I have not visited a doctor or an ER or seen a specialist. I'm not saying that I'm healed. I'm not saying that I have fixed all my toxic traits and patterns of behavior. Healing is not linear and it doesn't happen overnight. It is an effort over a period of time marked by little improvements, almost not recognizable in our day to day until one day we wake up, look back and see how far we have come. Although I suffer from CPTSD and developed an overwhelming fear of attachment, I honestly don't think I will be able to love the same way again ever. I have this fear of falling, the innocence that was lost, and falling in love with someone so carelessly, and I know that I will never have that again. But I have that peace that comes from knowing that I took a situation that was meant to destroy me and turned it into the most meaningful and healing experience of my life. And this gives me an overwhelming sense of hope. I know that everything I experienced was meant to bring me to here today to give others a blueprint of survival and guide them through the dark night of their soul after narcissistic abuse. And that makes all of it worth it. And I really honestly mean that. 
And that is really what this podcast is about. It's not about focusing on the other person or trashing the other person because we all carry wounds. We're all hurt in some way. It is not to focus on the toxic person in our lives. It's to focus on healing and recovering, to figure out why we reacted to them the way that we did. For me and maybe for a lot of you, the reactive abuse was the most traumatic part of my experience. I was triggered out of character to the point that I didn't recognize who I was becoming. This individual brought out the most unhealed, triggered, and dysregulated version of me. And the shame I carried for so long kept me from forgiving myself for the toxic traits I picked up while surviving trauma. No one should have to experience any of this. And if you're going through it, I hope my story and this podcast gives you some hope. Please join me next week in another conversation on how trauma can be the catalyst to healing. Thank you for listening.